Hi, my name is Mark O'Shea, born in Boston, lived my whole life in the rock and roll capital of Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to today's Doondoggle podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our today's Boondoggle radio show. Uh, as you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to, uh, our anchor sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at gmail.com and please follow us on our social media sites at uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook twitter all your uh, social media platforms as well as our youtube channel our rumble channel and our bit channel please follow subscribe comment and download and please consider checking out our sponsors. If you uh, support our sponsor, Dream Nutrition, you can receive 10% off your order by using the promo code BOONDOG10 at checkout. So Dream Nutrition, they're a veteran-owned and operated company as well, so please support them and receive 10% off using the promo code BOONDOG10. Thanks for your time, and thanks for listening. going on everybody it's bill bailey with today's boondoggle and a uh, real quick housekeeping note if you're watching us on youtube or uh spotify or uh youtube um odyssey rumble bit shoot uh please hit that follow and subscribe button and if you're listening to us on spotify or apple google um any of the podcast platforms please hit that follow and subscribe button uh, so we can continue to bring you conversations like the ones I'm uh, bringing you today. We're going into the dollhouse, talking with the uh, guys from the band, Adol's House. How you doing, guys? Doing good. Doing good. How about you? Good, good. Like uh, me and Dav were talking a little bit before coming on about, you know, um, 
Shauna connected me with, with you guys to set this up and, and just like, you know, looking into your story and definitely, uh, you know, story about just keeping after your dream, you know, you're still pushing, uh, pursuing your dreams, uh, even when life, uh, takes you on where life takes you, you know? Right. Um, but usually when I have people on for the first time, I like to get a little bit of a background. So even before the dream of uh, pursuing the, the music and band and stuff, do you guys remember what you wanted to be when originally what you wanted to be when you grew up? You want to take that first? Seth? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the thing that I remember, you know, being a kid, like a very young kid, the first thing I wanted to be was a basketball player. And the next thing was, uh, uh, a musician. Nice. Yeah, for me, funny uh, that you say basketball. Actually, I didn't know that, Seth. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to either play for the Rams, the Dodgers, as you can tell by the hat, but music was pretty early on for me, uh, really early on. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully some of these questions, you guys will still learn something about each other, even after all these years together and yes. being friends. But uh, um yeah. So then, you know, you mentioned music early on, like when, do you remember like who was some of your early musical influences when, when music finally caught your, when you originally caught your ear? I can take this one. It's a pretty, pretty common answer, but it was the Beatles. As you can probably see by the pictures in the background. Am I pointing yeah, yeah. yeah. That was uh, just um, at a very young age, I got into my parents' record collection and, uh, they had two Beatle albums that uh, just hit home for me. And, and uh, that was it. That was the start of it for me. And I just decided I want to be like them. How about you, Seth? Yeah, similar. I mean, the, you know, the, um, the memories I have of like the records in our house, the earliest records were that my parents had that were of interest to me were like a, the Beach Boys Endless Summer. Um, they had a double album of, Neil Diamond, Hot August Night, which if you haven't seen it, is worth seeing because it's like nothing like what people think Neil Diamond is. He looks like he's in Led Zeppelin or something. So it's kind of funny to see that. But um, it was stuff like that. And they weren't really, you know, big into rock. But it's funny because one of the things that Dave and I bonded over early on, obviously, was, was the Beatles. And you can probably see them behind me here, too. And I think it was the same two albums that Dave's talking about. But I actually discovered the Beatles by... Uh, and this shows you how long ago it was, I would go to the public library near where Dave and I grew up and you could actually rent albums from the library. And so I rented these these two albums, the, the, the Blue and the Red Beatles albums, which were sort of like greatest hits of the Beatles. And that kind of got me started and hooked. So that was sort of the, the kind of earliest, um, the earliest uh, thing that I glommed on to. Nice. And then when did you guys decide that, uh, you know, you're going to start learning how to play? music oh for me it was uh third grade um i had already started playing just in like the, the school where we played trumpet stuff like that but as far as playing guitar and rock music uh my best friend at the time in third grade blew my mind when he actually could play to one of the beatles songs and for whatever reason that that clicked uh so i went home i said that's it i gotta learn how to play that too i, I don't know at third grade I guess you just couldn't imagine that, well, wait a second, other people can play that too? I don't know. It's a silly thing when you're that age, but uh, that was it. Um, when I saw that my best friend could play a Beatles song, I said, oh, that's it. I got to learn how to do that too. 
Yeah, and similarly, no one, no one in my family played any any instruments, and and one day I just got it in my head that I wanted to try guitar, and thankfully my parents said sure, and so we tried it, and um, that was probably when I was about thirteen or fourteen, and then very quickly from that I kind of went into a heavy punk rock phase, and so that was kind of led to my first my first band, which was a you know a, really just a a punk band when we were like 14 or 15 and you know very very guitar driven stuff but um um that's how it started for me and i'm i'm, I'm always somebody that's curious about those young young uh days in, in bands and and coming up with the band names so what was the punk band's band name <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because it, it dovetails dave can tell you the story of how we got to a doll's house but it, it's a little similar to the name of the punk band was the undecided and it was because we were playing someplace and we didn't have a name and they put us down as undecided and so that became great. <laughs> yeah nice and the story of a doll's house is really similar because this was seth's fault seth uh pulled a surprise on us and booked us a gig at the troubadour and we needed a band name and i don't know why making a band name is so difficult um, but I figured, well, uh, it, it just happened to be, I was just reading a book that said that the Beatles white album was supposed to be called a doll's house, but they didn't use it for various reasons. So, uh, I thought, well, I'll take their scraps. Let's call ourselves a doll's house, you know? And so that was it. Uh, we needed a name that week. And, uh, that's a story that we still joke about, about Seth's booking us at the Troubadour, but I'm glad he did. I mean, cause that's where, that's where this all started. Nice. Yeah, so you know, let's talk about a doll's house like first coming together, you know, as a band, even before you had the name, and then you know, getting to you know, play one what your first gig at the troubadour. Yes. So in terms of you know how we got together, I'll tell you the slightly longer version because it is it is kind of funny. There there was a girl who lived down the street from me who went to Dave's high school and knew Dave. And um, uh, Dave went to a nice high school in the part of L.A. where we grew up at a time when I was getting kicked out of probably every other high school in our area. And this girl went to, to school with Dave and she said, you know, she knew how I like playing music. And she said, you should really meet this guy. And so I said, great, you know, give him my number. What I never learned till a lot later was Dave then called me. And at the time on my answering machine, I had the very beginning of Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil, um, which, to put it mildly, was not Dave's cup of tea at the moment. No. And uh, <laughs> so he was like, forget this. Uh, turned out, fortuitously, he then later, uh, you know, maybe, a, I don't know, some months later, a year later, he came into a, the clothing store that I happened to be working at at the time. And I thought, this guy looks like a kindred spirit. And so he bought a shirt from me, and I just said, are you a musician or are you in a band, something like that? And he said, yeah. And, and so we exchanged numbers and, um, you know, that was probably when we were 16 and pretty quickly we, you know, became, you know, and have stayed best friends and, and started writing songs together then and have kind of kept going. And then, nice. and then Tony, our drummer, I met in, uh, in high school. Um, actually, you should probably tell that story too, Seth, because I, I think I called you and said, Oh my God, this guy's got to be in our band. He hits, he hits the drums hard. He's so precise. I, Tony blew me away. He was younger than us. He was a, a year or two younger than us. And, uh, you know, in high school, that's a big deal, right? 
but um, but I just thought this guy is great. Um, so uh, so that was then how we got the three of us together. He kind of came kicking and screaming, but he eventually gave in. <laughs> and so that that was really so that was the three of us. And so when we were you know a band back in the late '80s, early '90s, that was the lineup. And Dave and I did the singing, um, and then you know life sort of took over. We, we you know we did all right in, in the LA scene. We played you know places like the Troubadour and the Whiskey and the Roxy, etc. And um, you know we had a nice little sort of group of people that show up to, to hear us play and, you know, had a little momentum, but at the end of the day, you know, we were pretty young. We were, you know, all of 19 or 20 at that time. We really didn't have an adult in the room to, to help guide us to what, you know, what do you think about what do you do to try to get to that next level? And so things, you know, as they do, life kind of takes over and, and we went our separate ways. And then a few years ago, just got it back in our mind to look, let's just, just for us, let's just make a proper album. And it's something we love doing and let's just do it for us. And, you know, that way when we're really old, we can say, all right, we did it. And we decided to really at Dave's urging, um, like, let's really find somebody who can really sing. And so we put some stuff up on some of these sites and just through good luck, a guy named Dave Santos, who's our lead singer, found us. We all kind of clicked together and, um, and it's great because now we really have a, somebody who knows really how to sing and he's been, just like the perfect addition to the band. And so that's, that is, that is a doll's house now. And then you guys get together with them. You're, you're jamming, uh, writing a bunch of songs. And then um, let's talk about like, you know, I mean, you still didn't really have the name it's you, you said, but uh, uh, let's talk about like, okay, we're going to do our first show at the, the Troubadour, you know? Yeah, so I mean, so, so, so back then it was, you know, um, just like Dave said, it was, and I have sort of a, um, seems to be something I do with the band is I just get these harebrained ideas and say, and just do something rash, like book us at a, at a club when we're probably not really ready. And the way we actually figured that out was, um, if you know the band Jane's Addiction, um, Jane's Addiction was a, you know, big band in LA, but at this time they were really just, starting to get big and we actually Dave kind of knew the drummer um and um we we would sometimes play with him a little bit but I went and saw Jane's Addiction in something called the LA Street Scene which was kind of a big outdoor music festival kind of thing in LA and they were like I say they, they were just sort of on their way of becoming you know a big deal and I just went up to Perry Farrell who was the who's the singer and I just asked him and I said how do you play a club? And he kind of gave me some pointers and said, call this guy at the Troubadour. And, um, and I did. And that's how we ended up doing the first show. And it was great because like, like Dave sort of said, it was kind of uh, a little bit of the kick in the ass that we needed because it really gave us something to focus on and, and um, you know, practice for, really be ready. And, um, and so we did that. And then that kind of led to a, a nice string of, of playing all those places as well as, you know, some other places around LA. Yeah, because I was reading in your bio. I mean, all the you guys ended up, you know. So you get that you you call you get that first show at the Troubadour. You had to come up with the name, and then once you had the name, uh, you guys started. You're you're kind of off and running and hitting all the the hot spots there, like uh, what with uh, Rainbow and uh, yeah, it was uh, the Roxy, Roxy, Whiskey, Whiskey, yeah, Raji's, Ante Club, a bunch of other ones. I I don't remember all of them now, but. It was quite a what few. was 
I mean, and James was getting started around that time you were saying. So what was the, the scene like? Who were some of the bands you were sharing stages with uh, getting into those clubs back then? Uh, like at the same time, well, at the same time, we didn't open for any of these bands, but they were playing the same clubs. And obviously they were much more successful, but there was the, the Chili Peppers had been around for a while and uh, Jane's Addiction, of course. They also, two of the members went to my high school. Um, so we, it was kind of cool to see them kind of lead the way. Obviously we weren't as successful as them, but, um, uh, what were some of the other bands? Guns and Roses played Troubadour. Um, 311 came from Omaha and started playing, but maybe that was a little later. Yeah. Uh, but the funny thing then was, you know, and I don't know how different it is now, but then it was so somewhat haphazard and, you know, you could go and, you know, so, so I don't remember the band names, but I know, you know, some of the nights we would play, there'd be like a full on like hair metal band playing for us, you know, and, and we were sort of like at the opposite end, kind of on the alternative indie rock stuff. Right. And, and that would be the same with all these, you know, these other bands too. It would just be a total mix of whatever they just decided. I don't think it was by design. I think it was just like the people running the clubs. It's like, you got to fill these slots and whoever, you know, kind of gets to us first and we feel like they'll actually sell the tickets, we'll book them. And so it's actually kind of a fun way to see things because you just see stuff you would never by design, you know, go and see otherwise. But I think some of the other bands that were around then were like Fishbone was a, oh, yeah. a big LA band then. Um, um, and, um, you know, but it was, it was interesting, right? Because you'd have bands come into town that um, a little different than the types of bands we're talking about, but like Duran Duran, who actually has been a big influence on, on Dave and I, they, you know, the first place they played, I think, in L.A. was the Roxy, and that was like when they had an album and all that. So that was an interesting thing about growing up in L.A. at that time is it was one of these places where, like Dave said, you know, you, you might, you know, you might be playing the same place Guns N' Roses would play the next night, um, and, you know, these bands just take off. And and real quick, Seth, are you able to like maybe pull the phone up a little bit closer for when you talk or whatever too? Because it's a sure. little, yeah. There you go. That bit of an voice. echo. Yeah, yeah, a lot better. And then, um, so yeah, I mean, we hear all the stories about the infamous, you know, Sunset Strip, and like most of the bands, you know, have like we're leaving their homes out here out out east or whatever, you know, to, to pursue that dream and go out the per Sunset Strip. Now, you guys just it grew up there, huh? It was your backyard. Yeah. yeah. So that was your local scene. <laughs> so so I used to, I lived on an apartment with my mom for a few years, right near where Dave grew up on Riverside Drive. And um, at that time, there was a show on MTV called um, Headbangers Ball or Headbangers Ballroom or something. And it was started by this guy, I think his name was Ricky Rackman, and he was like the owner of a big deal club for kind of the metal scene in LA. I think it was called like the Cat, the, House. The Cat House. Cat House, yeah. Yeah. And he lived in our apartment building, and he was really good friends with Motley Crue. And so, honestly, I would come home from high school some days, and there would be like three Corvettes lined up in front of the apartment building, and it was three of the guys from Motley Crue, and. Like nice as could be, but you know, like my mom's just coming home from work, I'm coming home from high school, and Nikki Six is walking out to his vet, you know. And it was, I mean, LA's just kind of a crazy place like that. It is, it is such a huge entertainment, you know, 
film, music, you know, all the arts, that, that stuff just kind of happens sometimes. And then uh, now, Dave, you you went to school with uh, some of the, uh, I thought you said something about some of the guys you went to school with or actually in some of these bands, too. Or Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Steve Perkins and Dave Navarro went to Notre Dame. Uh, Dave was only there for a couple of years. They were both uh, two or three years ahead of me. I can't remember now. So I was that, you know, just the underclassmen. Uh, but but yeah, that two of those guys went there. And um, so, yeah, they're, I guess, among us, <laughs> I guess. Um, and yeah, and we actually uh, ended up being friends with uh, Steve Perkins for a while. And, you know, we would play, you know, when he's not playing with his band, you know, we just jam. And there's a whole group of us that would kind of play. It was it was cool. He's a great drummer. Yeah, there's a band from Columbus, Ohio that uh, I had on, and um, damn, why am I drawing a blank on the name right now? But they got uh, discovered and signed through Steve Perkins' label, and oh, flew great. out there and got to play in, in, at his studio, and actually recorded Dave Grohl's studio and stuff too. Oh wow, that's cool. Oh, man. But um, let's you know, like uh, so that you know. You guys are doing this for a while. This is your local scene. You're, 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 uh, you know, playing all the the clubs. What's some of your most memorable shows? Would you say at um, some of these venues? There's a lot of memories. <laughs> How do we keep this clean? Uh, uh, go ahead. Seth. It's all right. You can yeah, get, you know, it's, it's a censorship free here. Yeah. One of the one of the things that stood out to me was um, when we played at the whiskey. You know, we we had a legitimate encore, right? You know, of, of like we just played really well, and it was like one of those things where people, you know, stood there and kind of really wanting us to come back. And the club owners or the people running it, the managers, because you didn't, you know, you couldn't really do that, right? Like you sort of had your slot. You would get it's sort of like stand up comedy. Yeah, you've got like your 30 or 40 minutes and then you get off because somebody else has to start getting there. You know, you got to get your equipment off and somebody else does. But we legitimately have, you know, people like wanting to hear more. And the manager was kind of like, you guys go ahead, go go play another couple of songs. And, uh, you know, that's very rewarding because it's these environments, right? These are not you're not playing places when people for the most part you know, you're playing these places when people really don't know your music that well, or if they do, it's because like, you know, an album just came out or like us, there's a demo you've got that's kind of circulating, you know, and, and so some people know six of your songs maybe. So, you know, it's kind of like, you have to be a really good live band to kind of hold people's attention. So that, that was very gratifying. Um, and then this is slightly different than, than your question, but one of, I mean, some of the things that I love, the memories that I have that were really fun were, and these would be like just, you know, because we're kind of starving, you know, starving, you know, late teens, early 20s, you kind of will do anything uh, to, to make a buck, right, and play music. And so we would get hired by fraternities at UCLA and some places in San Diego, uh, San Diego State. Santa Barbara. Yeah, Santa Barbara. And these things would be like, you know, you would just go and play, like, honestly, for like three or four hours. They would just have these huge parties that would basically, you know, you'd, you'd sort of get there at like 8.30 and kind of start. And they basically went until the police shut it down. Yeah. yeah. Yes. We built up this 
repertoire where we could play, you know, you take breaks here or there, but we could play, you know, between our own stuff and covers that, you know, people wanted to hear. We could play that, those, the, that long without repeating. And that just, you know, that was, um, I, I always think of that really fondly because one, they were just really fun. And you can imagine what that environment's like, you know, when you've got like college keggers. <laughs> yeah, 500, you know, uh, it was pretty college. cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just as a band, you know, um, just to be that tight, to be able to play that long and, um, you know, not repeat stuff and, and, you know, just, just sound good. It was, it was, I was really proud of that. Yeah. Now, you know, I was reading too, you know, obviously as we were talking a little bit before we went on, going on to, uh, you know, you'd reach a point where it was like, all right, now I got to go get a, you know, a real job. I got to start a family. Uh, and, and you guys sound like, you you know, a lot of you went on to have some successful careers or still do like uh, what somebody's a lawyer another's a veterinarian another's a TV producer. I don't know who's what here, I'm but I'm the vet. <laughs> nice. And I'm the, I'm the lawyer. Okay, yeah, you got that lawyer look. So yeah, watch, <laughs> from, watch you back <laughs> from the undecided punk rocker, yeah. <laughs> from breaking the law to making the law. I love it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But uh, you know, uh, when was it where it was like, and, and what was the feeling like when it was like, okay, we, th this, you know, you know, the dream. Oh, did it almost feel like the dream was over, and then going to pursue it, and then like yes. what brought everybody back? You know. Yeah, for, it definitely did. And I think um, I was the one that made the most abrupt change, where I just, uh, you know, I just gave away all my instruments except for the one guitar that's in the behind me. It was the one thing I saved. Um, so it's kind of funny that that's in the picture right here. But uh, in order for me to to have success in my other life, uh, becoming a professional, becoming a family member, all that stuff. Um, I had to just say goodbye to it all, so to speak. But Seth and I kept in contact that whole time. And I, and I never lost my obsession with music. Uh, that, that was always there. Uh, but two things happened, um, two main things. Um, I guess Seth brought me back into writing songs for fun because of technology. And I thought that was really important that here's a guy that's living on the opposite corner of the country from me and through the newest technology that is so good and so accessible uh, we could start writing songs again as if we were in the same room not quite as if we're in the same room but pretty close so that all of a sudden out of nowhere we just started writing songs again and uh i'm, I'm glad he brought me back um the second thing was um a, a friend of seth's uh well it's a friend of mine too but uh bumped into seth and gave him an old demo tape, something that we hadn't really listened to for 20 or 30 years. And you opened the show about talking about, you know, you don't lose this dream. Well, I guess that reintroduced me to the dream, you know, hearing that music again. Not only was I kind of surprised that oh, it was actually decent, you know, uh, but the second thing was it's just, it just reintroduced me to just all the memories and all the, you know, we had some unfinished business, so to speak. And uh, that's when Seth and I finally said, and Yes, I was the one that said it, but either one of us could have said it. That, uh, my gosh, we've, we've got these new songs. We've got the old songs. We never finished that album. We, we now have the means to do it. Let's do it. So uh, so we did. We're all in. Nice. Like Limp Biscuits back, and they're putting out the dad vibes, and you guys fall in that category now then, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Exactly. Yeah, let's talk about, you know, so then, you know, uh, 
the the time off, you uh, start families, you 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 work towards your your careers, pursuing your careers. Like it, it's uh, funny. I mean, it's great that you're a veterinarian, Dave, because like my my oldest daughter originally wanted to be a veterinarian, and then she got in a show choir in 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 high school, and now she wants to pursue music. But I'm trying to tell her, well, you can do both. You know, you're probably better off trying to get get the veterinarian thing and then have or, or do like music business courses and stuff like that. I'm trying, you know, but I'm dad. So, you know, right. what I say, you know, doesn't really matter. But uh, let's talk about, you know, the time off and you guys are like, you know, you're starting your families and you're pursuing these other. Uh, I mean, I guess I would say they they had to be passions to put in all the time that you guys did to get these these degrees. Yeah. Go ahead. Zach. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's and I think I speak for Dave on this, too. I mean, we certainly no regrets about it. I mean, we had a great time when we were doing the band back then. It was a very you know formative experience for us. It's just, you know, the great thing about rock music, right, is you don't know how you don't have to know how to read music. You, don't, you know, you, you can kind of just figure it out by paying a lot of attention, trial and error. And that translates a lot into you know, you're talking about your daughter and um, her interests, you know, it's easy to sort of say, you know, oh, you know, you try to be in a band and what's that really worth? It's actually worth a lot, I think, because, you know, the focus that we put on trying to be good musicians and learning all that sort of on our own, um, I think I know for me as a lawyer, you know, um, I can still feel those same, that attention to detail kind of stuff. I mean, same thing, Dave's a doctor, right? I mean, the things that we do are all about serious attention to detail and that's what figuring out music was like and um and so for me you know um finding this other interest in, and i've had a great career as a lawyer um has been you know very gratifying and, and obviously um, enables us to you know start families and and you know support families etc and so I really, you know, yeah, I suppose everybody could re, you know, if you had a, a blank check to write the script of your life, yeah, we could all have sort of, you know, pie in the sky dreams that, but barring something like that, I'm, I'm very content with the way things turned out and to be able to come back to music now is I think in a lot of ways more gratifying because, you know, we're just older and hopefully a little smarter and, um, um, you know, you're able to kind of prioritize things and realize what's really important to you. You know, all those things that just come with, you know, getting older, being a parent, you know, uh, being a husband or, you know, whatever significant other partner, et cetera. Uh, and um, I don't know, it just helps bring, it's, it's interesting not to get too far afield from your question, but one of the things Dave and I have talked about a lot is as we're basically the songwriters in the band, um, you know, writing songs now, one, we're just much better at it because we've had these intervening decades of learning how to do it better um, and, or just listening to more music, et cetera. But, you know, there's there's when you're 19 or 20, there's a lot of um, testosterone and a lot of ego in the air, you know, and, um, yeah, you know, we've always been we never really fought or anything, but, you know. Now it's like you write songs and there's no ego about, oh, you're, you're trying to get rid of my part or, um, you know, I like this better. It's just, we're very, very good about like, yeah, that, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. Let's just try to get it to the best song we can and not worry about, you know, who, who started something or, you know, whether your little contribution on this part makes it in or not. 
And it, and that part's been really, I think, really rewarding for the both of us. Yeah. That was one of our biggest problems. You, you made me think about it when you told them about the whiskey getting the uh, encore. Uh, my memory was the opposite. And actually, it was um, uh, something that reminded me how immature we were. Uh, we played the Palomino and uh, the crowd wanted us to do an encore, but we were over our time limit. I started playing anyway. <laughs> That's uh, And really, it's not their fault. You know, it's not the Palomino's fault. It was my fault. I was, I was immature. And uh, something that I like about the band now is we have a better maturity in some of these things where we won't do stupid things like that. Uh, so uh, it's funny because you, you talked about, Seth, how we're you're right. There was a maturity to it where, and a discipline to try to sit there and learn all these songs and figure things out. But then there was the other side where um, yeah, there were some things that weren't so mature. And so now I'm, I'm glad that it's probably better that we didn't make it back then. It's probably better that we're, we're attempting it now. Well, I would agree with that statement too, because, you know, if you're getting into the, you know, with this, this, this second run before you sign any like uh record deal contracts, it's always good to have a lawyer look over everything. Right. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and I'll tell you what's funny is, uh, is the, um, and you may have read a little bit about this, you know, um, Brian Wheat from the band Tesla is the one who ended up recording, producing, arranging, and, and mixing our album. And the way we we uh, we connected with Brian is because Dave was um, Brian's veterinarian for a long time. Uh, Tesla is a band from Sacramento, California. That's where Dave lives, and he's been a vet there for twenty uh, something years. Five years, something. Like he he and Brian just became friendly because um, Brian always has two Jack Russell uh, dogs. And, yes. Um, Dave took care of him for a long time, and then Brian moved to to he left. Now is in New York, but that was our connection when we when we started to do this. We were like, you know, Brian's got a studio, and we just we just kind of thought Dave gave him a call just to say hi and say like, hey, we're thinking about using your studio, and Brian's just a great guy, and he's like, I, I love Dave. He's the best vet I ever had, and so he got a little more involved, thankfully, than than might have otherwise been the case. Yeah, nice. And then, um, like, well, you you mentioned a little bit about it, but then like coming back together and you said due to technology and everything today, it's able, it makes things easier, but, uh, and you guys, you said you never kind of like lost touch with each other, but, um, let's talk more about now, you know, getting back together and what it's been like putting, putting together, uh, you know, uh, an album. Yeah, I mean, it's been, um, I mean, the technology thing has really been key. And um, I would be remiss not to credit my older son, Sam, um, because you can appreciate this as a dad and dealing with kids and technology. Sam, my older son, is the one who showed me how to use GarageBand um, with kind of this look on his face of sort of barely disguised disgust that I didn't know how to do this. And I called myself a musician. But um for, for a brief moment, I was more technologically savvy with music stuff than Dave, because then I showed Dave how to use GarageBand, and then, just like it was in the old days, Dave then has clearly surpassed me on, on all, the tech, all the technological stuff, which is great. But it, it really is amazing, because it did allow us to be writing songs together on two separate, you know, in California and New Jersey, where I live now. Um, and it's, it's actually a great way, you know, 
yeah, in a perfect world, you know, we'd still love to be able to go over each other's house and, you know, hey, let's do this or whatever. But in a lot of ways, it's actually a great way to work because um, there are, you know, there's some songs that come together very quickly. And, and there are other songs that really take time to, to develop. And this, with the technology, you know, and busy lives, you can really do it. And I can send Dave things, say like, here's, a, here's an idea. And a lot of times what happens is, you know, Dave sort of mulls it over and, and you know, you just gotta wait till it sort of strikes the other person right. And then all of a sudden it'll be like, you know, three weeks later, Dave said something back to me and you know, I finally kind of get it. And I, you know, here's what I think we should do with it. And, and you can keep iterating that way. Uh, and it's great, and, and that process really um, even followed through into the, the actual album. So we were able to make, through our own means, really solid demos of the songs that are on, on this album. And then when we started recording it with Brian, you know, there were, there were times where, you know, the band kind of came together to record a lot of it. But after that, you know, there were a lot of things Dave then would kind of do some additional guitar work at his house. He was able to do that. Dave Santos, our singer, did a lot of the vocals in LA. Um, and then you're able to send them to, to Brian to then, you know, kind of engineer and mix. Um, and so it really was this, this process of, you know, having people in four different locations be able to record an album sometimes together, but in a lot of, a lot of the process, not together. And it came out great. We, we you know, we yes. couldn't be happier with the album. That's right. And I was reading, so the name of the album's uh, Anum, but it, it, are you bringing, uh, it, it, this is like 30 years in the making, basically. Is it, is a lot of the old stuff too getting re, you know, from the demos getting re uh, put out? Yeah, there's two, two songs on the album now that are songs that we used to play in the late 80s. Um, although they're, we upgraded them a little bit, but for the most part, they're the, they're the same as they were. Um, and then the, the rest of the songs, the, the album's 10, 10 tracks. So two of them are the old ones. Eight of them are, are new ones. Okay, great. And then, uh, like you said, it's kind of like, you know, 30 years in the making, um, going back to like never giving up on your original dream and show, proving that you guys can uh, get this done. And I'm sure, you know, the finished product now, is, is it is ready to come out or is it out or... So it's, it's done. It's, it's all, you know, produced. We've got the cover. It's, it's ready to go. Our, we have one, our, our first single, Hey Wait, is out now. And um, uh, we've been fortunate that's getting played on, on some radio stations around the country. And, and you know, um, we seem to be doing pretty well on Spotify, et cetera. So we're probably, we're going to have a second single that will come out um, within the next month or two. And then, uh, then the whole album will be available as well. I can't wait. Yeah. And then uh, do you have a date yet? No. No? No, we don't have a date yet. You're talking about for the release of the album? Yeah. So we're, it's, once, once we sort of get the, the second single out, um, then we'll have a date for actually releasing the rest of the album. And how, how gratifying has it been to have the, to play the single uh, for your son who gave you that look when he was first teaching you how to do garage band. <laughs> it's been, it's been very gratifying. He is, he's really, my, my son does a lot of, um, if you're familiar with this, this medium of mashups um, where, you know, 
people take songs and they can sort of strip elements down and kind of create something new out of parts of, of other songs. So he's, he's pretty sophisticated with the technology, but he, no, he's been very supportive of the whole effort. And, you know, it's nice for, for folks our age at this point, right? You know, we're not necessarily uh, have our thumb on the pulse of, of all things new in music. And so, you know, to have a 20 year old who actually knows what's going on is, is pretty helpful. And he, but he loves the song. Nice. Yeah, I think one of the one of the greatest things was uh, when uh, we we had some pre warning when one of the times when the song was played on the radio, and so hearing our song on the radio for the first time, that was pretty cool. That that was really cool. Yeah, and were you able to like uh, have it on at the at the vet office? <laughs> yeah, we've actually played it there. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Everybody at work has been pretty supportive. Yeah, that's great, man. And then, um, so uh, the album you're getting ready to come come out now. Is there any kind of like talk or plans of trying to play some some live shows together to promote it? Yeah, that's kind of the the next step, and and uh, we're starting to work on that now. And and um, I think we'll we'll be able to do it, and it'll you know some of that will depend on um, you know whether um, I shouldn't say whether, but kind of where. Um, there may be some uh, some demand for it, um, but we are starting to look at that pretty seriously, and it would be it would be a lot of fun to uh, to do that again. It'll it'll, it'll be surreal for you know um, for Dave and I and Tony the drummer to to be doing that again after uh, together after you know thirty yeah. plus years. We're meeting maybe you're in LA this weekend to to rehearse. Oh, nice! I was gonna say maybe your son can 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 hook you up with some college keggers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> really take it back to the roots. Yes. <laughs> Except but, uh, obviously we'll be watching I would think, kids to make sure they're not indulging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But obviously I would think, you know, maybe, you know, trying to, you know, get, get into the troubadour for uh, yeah. a show would be, It'd be great. It'd be great. Know? Absolutely. Going to come full circle. Yeah. And that, what a story that would be right there. You know, I right. mean, it's almost, Sounds like it could be one of those like documentaries, you know, to follow this, right. you know, for people. It's pretty, it's, it's very inspiring uh, for sure. And uh, you know, I, I know as a dad, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, I do this podcast thing. I'm retired from the, the Navy and stuff, but uh, you know, I've made a lot of friends and relationships in the music world. So whenever a, you know, certain artists that I become friends with over the years come to town and I get to take my daughters and stuff to the show and we get to go backstage and stuff. I get to be cool dad. So, right. you know, I, 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 uh, um, definitely excited for you guys to have that, that, uh, I mean, you're already having the cool dad moment, but you know, if to get the family out there and play the troubadour, I'm, I'm hoping that that happens for you guys. Thank you. Yeah. And then, um, other than other other than you know the album coming out and playing a getting to playing a live show together, what other kind of goals do you guys have uh, going forward? To make the second album, we already have the songs lined up. We've been uh, bouncing the demo tapes back and forth, making sure the songs are as ready to be. And I I got to tell you, I mean, we don't even have the first album out. I'm already excited to make the second one. The songs are fantastic. I'm I'm really excited. And that's what do you got, Seth? Yeah, no, same thing. I mean, that that uh, you know, we're starting to try to plan how we can get that done, and um, and it'll be great. And you know, I think 
you know, um, as much as we love Anim and what's coming out, I think we're excited that, that this will actually be an even better album. And then, I mean, you guys kind of originally started like what, as a garage band and now, you know, garage band is keeping it alive. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, yeah. So like any, any fans that are out there that are, are, uh, you know, new to hearing about you guys and, and want to learn more, check it out. Uh, where would you, uh, send them? So if you go to adullshouse.com, uh, that's our website and you can find us on, you know, uh, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, uh, iHeartRadio is playing it. Um, so all the streaming platforms, if you go to our website at dollshouse.com, you'll see the link tree to all our social sites, the videos up there. Um, it's a pretty neat video, uh, for Hayway and, um, you'll find all the info you need there. Nice. And then uh, before we get ready to wrap up, I want to ask you guys uh, a couple questions that I normally ask my guests that I have on. Um, who are three people who've inspired you and you can credit for making you the person you are today? You want to go first, Dave? Well, uh, sticking with the music thing, I would say Paul McCartney. I mean, uh, he, he's been my hero for a, a lot of things. So, um, so keeping it related, I would say he's, he's one of the, the first just to follow what he's done in his life and how hard he works. That's, that would be one. Your turn, Seth. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the two that come to my mind would be, um, the guy in the Dodger hat right here, Dave, um, <laughs> Thanks. because, uh, we really did. I mean, I don't want to sound too sappy about it, but. We, we, Dave was always, you know, a, a better musician than I was. And, but we really learned a lot about learning how to play music and write music together at the same time. And, um, uh, and so, it, you know, just going through that experience together was just one of those kind of formative things that, you know, you just don't get a chance to do again, really, when you're older. Um, and then secondly, I would say, you know, um, and again, this will sound sappy, but my wife, uh, who, Dave has known longer than I have. Um, yes. I've been married to the same beautiful woman for almost 30 years um, and literally met her because Dave was dating a girl that knew her. Uh, and they went to the same high school and she has always supported me with whatever harebrained uh, ideas that I have, like, hey, let's get the proverbial band yak together and make an album. And, you know, you can relate when you're a parent, you know, you can't. You can't do that if you don't. Uh, if everybody's not on board and and helping you do it, so um, those are those are the two that that come to mind. And I guess I think you said three. I mean, the thing this isn't quite responsive, but the thing that I just think is amazing about music, and I alluded to this before, is you know, particularly I don't know if all other genres work this way, but the thing about you know, like the kind of stuff we do, rock rock music, you know, sort of writ large, whatever genres is, you know, I can say you know, you don't have to read music to be able to do it. You don't have to take lessons to be able to do it, but in some ways you can learn from the greatest that there are. So that's the way Dave and I learned how to play music is you just, we would get, and literally then they were records and you'd sit there and you just would stick at it and figure it out. But okay, then you learn how to play bass from Paul McCartney or, you know, Dave, like at one point Dave learned every Led Zeppelin song there was on guitar, you know, and you can, you can go through those things. And that's just, what's a great thing about music is, you know, these these giants in your mind that are out there, you can basically just take lessons right from them if you want. Yeah. 
And then, um, Dave, did you have uh, your final two? Don't really think I can't really think of any at the moment. There's too many people. You're around this long. There's too many people that influence you uh, in what you do. So no, I don't. I I don't have a good answer for you right now. Sorry. All right. No Watch. I'll, I'll think of it in the middle of the night. I'll say oh, I should have said that person. <laughs> I don't know. I want to keep you up all night. You know. But... Yeah. No, you will. Because <laughs> I didn't have an answer. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> but uh. And then uh, any message you guys have for our, our military members that are currently serving overseas? Oh, God. I, I know it sounds so um, cliche, but thank you for your service. Uh, I was an Army brat. My, my dad was in the Army. Um, he was drafted, uh, I think, in 66, but then didn't actually go to serve until 67 to 69. Um, so, uh, no, seriously, thank you for your service. People don't realize the sacrifice. Yeah, and I would, uh, just to add on to that, I think, you know, particularly in the world that we live in now, it's easy to forget that people are actually out there uh, in different parts yeah. of the world, and that at any moment, you know, you can look at the stuff in Ukraine for the last year, stuff can happen overnight, and all of a sudden, it's on the line, and all the things that, you know, we enjoy, particularly in the U.S., and, um, you know, it's easy to forget that. All those things are possible to do something as frivolous, right, as, as four guys in their early 50s making it with an album, right? You can only do that in a country where everything is secure and you've got that, uh, that safety net that comes from people being in the service year in and year out. And, you know, um, that, that's what I would add to it. Yeah. Awesome. Good to hear. Well, you know, guys, man, it was uh, good to good to have you on and, and hear your story. And, uh, you know, definitely inspiring for other dads like myself out there to just keep going after it. I I've shared with I've had Matt Pinfield on here before and I share with him like as a kid, I used to always want to do something similar to this. You know, like with a, I had a little tape recorder and I'd make my own tapes watching, you know, Johnny Carson and stuff like that, you know, yeah, growing right. up like I want to be a host or something. And then you start growing up and, you know, parents or whatever, you know, they mean in a loving way, but they're like, you know, that's not for you. You got to go to school. You got to do this. You got to work in this job. And, you know, but here I am back, you know, retired from the Navy and, you know, being able to pursue my kid, kid dreams. So, you yeah. know, to all the dads that don't give up on their dream and they still raise halfway de decent kids Good. along the way, man, hats off to you guys. Well, great. That's good. Great for you as well. Yeah. And uh, like what? once again, man, thanks for, uh, you know, the time and, and sharing your story. And I look forward to hearing more. Like I'll have Shauna make sure she keeps me in the loop that when the uh, sure. when you guys get to make it full circle and play that Troubadour show. Yeah. And thanks for having us on. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it's a blast.
Hey, baby, this is Double D, also known as Dream Daddy. And I gotta tell y'all something about our new sponsorship here at today's Boondoggle. And the name is Dream Nutrition. So if you're looking to empower your human vitality, well, then you come to the right place. With over 12 years of combined experience in cannabinoids and terpene products, Dream Nutrition products include CBD oils, patches, proteins, and so much more. The endocannabinoid system is believed to have involvement in regulating physiological and cognitive processes, including the immune system, appetite, pain sensation, mood, memory, and in mediating the pharmacological effects of cannabis. Support this veteran-owned and operated company today, and today's Boondoggle fans will receive 10% off their orders when using the promo code BOONDOG10 at checkout. That's B-O-O-N-D-O-G-10 at checkout. So go to the link. That's dreamnutrition.com forward slash discount forward slash BOONDOG10. And remember, dream is not spelled like dream daddy. It's spelled D-R-E-E-M. And start saving today because you deserve to feel your best. And you know that's right. So tell them Dream Daddy and your brand from today's Boondoggle sent you. Thank you for listening once again to today's Boondoggle radio show. Please be sure to check out our website, DomainCLE.com or Today's Boondoggle.com for more shows and check out our archives. Follow us on social media at Today's Boondoggle on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter for more information about this podcast. And please support us on www.anchor.fm forward slash Today's Boondoggle as well as on our GoFundMe and Venmo. Be sure to subscribe, comment, download, and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and all the other podcast platforms out there. Please email us with any questions, suggestions, and comments via todaysboondoggle at gmail.com. Leave us some five-star reviews and help spread the word. Thanks again for listening. for tuning into this week's today's boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into today's boondoggle.